Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That last verse of that last psalm. For stop shall be the mouths of those who do a lie declare. As much to do with our text in Ephesians 4 this morning. Again, I want to thank you all for coming out this morning. I know we all have one hour less sleep, but uh, hope and pray that doesn't hinder us from listening to what the Lord has for us this morning. Uh, I've been anxious to get back into Ephesians chapter 4. We will continue our series in Mark the first Sunday of the month, but I'm really excited about getting back into chapter 4 and finishing here Paul's exhortation to the church at Ephesus and unto all believers regarding our endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, which I believe with all my heart is very important, especially in the day and age in which we live in, every church age, of course, but especially in these latter days when it appears that lies and deception abound around us uh, and seems to be growing The church needs to be reminded that she is the pillar and ground of truth. And I pray God would give us this morning His grace that we might be able to comprehend this. Ephesians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 22. We're going to read down to verse 27 to get the whole context again. He said that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, or holiness of truth, same thing, true holiness. Wherefore, because of what he just said, if you've done this, if you've applied this, if you've put off the former, the old man, and you've put on the new man, and your mind has been renewed, Wherefore, because of that, putting away lying, speak every man truth. He doesn't say speak every man the truth. He says speak every man truth to his neighbor. The reason for it, the motivation for that, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither Give place to the devil. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor. We are members one of another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for, Lord, your divine providence. Not just in our individual lives, but, Lord, the divine providence we see daily as we walk here as pilgrims through this world. We thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to meet together. We pray that, Lord, you'd bless this time. I pray that, Lord, our hearts would be filled with excitement and anticipation that we might hear from you, that, Lord, the Spirit of God would guide us into all truths. We pray that, Lord, you'd inbred into our hearts and our minds that truth that you'd have us to hear and to know this morning. I pray that it would conform the way we think, the way we live. Lord, I pray that, God, you'd be honored and glorified in all of these things. Lord, help us to learn of Christ this morning. 
For Lord, to learn of men is to learn nothing but vanity and lies. Lord, we want to learn from you. May we, like the old hymn, sit at the feet of Jesus this morning. And may you teach us, Lord, the things that you'd have us to know. And may we, by your grace, be able to apply it practically in our hearts and our lives. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Someone once said about sanctification that it's not enough for us to know the matter and reason of our duty, but that we are also to learn the powerful and effectual means of performance before we can successfully apply ourselves to immediate practice. Let me say that again because it's rich. That it's not enough for us to know the matter and reason of our duty, sanctification, but that we are also to learn the powerful and effectual means of performance. How do we perform that duty of sanctification before we can successfully apply ourselves to immediate practice? Paul lays down that same example here when he said that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, there's the effectual performance. There's the power to do, verses 25 to 32. This is that which empowers us to practice the duty of sanctification. The following exhortations found in verses 25 to 32, to holiness and love of the brethren, could never be truly practiced nor enjoyed. Now emphasize that word enjoyed. Christians love unity amongst themselves. In spite of the fact we see so many divisions and schisms, the new man loves unity amongst the believers. Without our first putting on of the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, we could never practice or enjoy the work of sanctification. The true believer loves and enjoys the work of sanctification. He knows it's because the new man. He knows it's because Christ worketh in him or God worketh in him. But he loves to practice the duty of sanctification. For the effectual means of performance or duty lies not in our own abilities, but in the new man which is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. And that's what Paul is saying here. You could never do this. He doesn't give these exhortations in verses 25 to 32 without exhorting us to put on the new man because without putting on the new man, we could never exercise these exhortations found in verses 25 to 32. But when we do, we're enabled. Philippians 2, the working out of our own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says, is only made effectual by God's working in us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. So the true believer knows that of himself he cannot do anything, but with God, he's enabled to do that. So that's why he loves and enjoys sanctification. Wherefore, 
verse 25, for that reason, on that ground, because you've put on the new man. Put away lying. I'm getting ahead of myself, but he, again, he refers to us putting away something. The exhortation is to us. Just like the old man, he said, put off. Now he says, now put away. And I'll get to that in a minute, but it's amazing how he begins a truth, how important and significant truth is for unity. Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Beloved, in every generation there has been a great many who have misunderstood the significance and place of sanctification in the life of the believer. We spoke last time about what people think sanctification is. But many have a misunderstanding of how to perform it. How does sanctification come about? There are some that say, well, it's just all of God. Let go and let God. A very unbiblical statement, let go and let God. Sanctification, yes, is because God is working in us, but it's something that we are commanded to do. It's required of us to put away, to put off. Read the whole text here. Let no, neither give place, let all bitterness, be kind to one another. So you see, there's a responsibility on our part to exercise sanctification because we have put on the new man. Many placing the means of sanctification or sanctification itself in a mere outward performance and duty. They're like the Pharisees. They make clean the outside of the cup and the platter while their inward part is full of ravening, ravening and wicked, wickedness. They just clean the outward. They think that's sanctification. If I just adhere to a few duties and laws, if I just conform outwardly to something, then that's sanctification. And boy, I tell you, I've been in that mess. If I just do this, if I just do that, if I can conform, I stop drinking, I stop cursing, I stop going there. If I stop doing all these things, then that's sanctification. That's what sanctification is all about. They place it in the outward duties. Let me tell you something. All those that do that find their lives to be very frustrating. Sanctification is not something they enjoy. They, in their hearts, despise it. Because it doesn't bring inward satisfaction and joy. It's not because of the heart. It's not because of the inward man. It's not because the desire to be more holy, to be sanctified, that we might draw closer to Christ. We do it all for self. It's frustrating. Many disregard altogether the importance and place of sanctification in the life of the believer. And therefore, they leave themselves open to all corrupt and vile cravings of their own corrupt and unconverted heart. They're not truly saved. They're just religious like the Pharisees. But many, and this is, I believe, where many simple-hearted Christians fall into this trap, many place sanctification in mere knowledge of the things of God. What do you mean by that? Well, they believe the more knowledge they obtain, the more sanctified they'll be. All they have to do is learn all the doctrines of grace. And that knowledge is my sanctification, is proof of my sanctification. But, beloved, I don't care what we profess to know about God. If our lives do not evidence, if our lives are not a testimony of our doctrine, we don't know doctrine. 
and many today put it on this intellectualism. The more I learn of the things of God, the more sanctified I be. The more I speak of these things, the more I'm sanctified. No, sanctification is not merely in the mind. It's basically and primarily the way we live in our conversation, in our character, in our conduct, how we behave ourselves. That's the true evidence of knowing doctrine. These ever learn and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning their sanctification is based on their knowledge. All three of these fall infinitely short of that divine sanctification which springs from one who has been fully justified by faith in Christ. For though sanctification is not salvation, it springs from it. It is the effectual fruit and evidence of one's being justified before God through Christ. Therefore, a very significant part of salvation, true salvation being the effectual means by which sanctification works. And this is what Paul's saying here. True salvation being the effectual means by which salvation works. I'm sorry, salvation being the effectual means by which sanctification works. Look at verse 25. Again, wherefore, putting away lying putting away. Just like in the former verses, there must first be a putting off before there can be putting on. The emphasis on putting on, but you still have to put off before you can put on. Even here, before one can speak truth, one has to put off. What does the apostle, what does the Paul tell us to put off? He says, put off lying. Put it away. It's amazing that he'd start with this. The very fruit, first fruit or evidence or exhortation of us putting on a new man has to deal with truth. And that's speaking truth to one another. Now, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. In verse 15 of the same chapter, he said, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him to all things, which is the head, speaking the truth. But here it's a generalization. Speak every man truth. Be honest. Be upright. Be sincere with one another. Don't be deceptive, deceiving. Don't lie. But before we can do that, we need to put away something. You know, truth and lying cannot dwell together. They're complete opposites. The one must be first put away before the other one can truly be spoken. That's what Paul's saying. You can't speak truth until you stop lying. Do you put it away? And the motivation for putting away lying and speaking truth on their neighbor, Paul says, this is the motivation for it, for your members one of another. That's, it's, it's almost like Paul says, this is natural for the Christian. It's something that comes natural. Put away lying. Speak truth. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Why? Because you're members of one another. You belong to Christ. You're the body of Christ. It's something natural for the new man. In righteousness and true holiness, or holiness of truth. And he goes right into saying, now stop lying to one another. This is the first thing that you're called on to put away if you put on the new man. Stop lying to one another. Stop lying and speak truth. Paul's still speaking about our walking worthy of our vocation wherewith we are called from first few verses of chapter 4. And he's still speaking about our endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
He's still speaking about that. He hasn't changed the subject. He's still speaking about that matter. This whole chapter 4 is about the unity of the brethren, the love and holiness that we should share, and what we have when we unite together, and every member gives you know, that part which God is giving them. He's still talking about walking worthy of that vocation. He's still talking about our endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit. And one of the first things he says after you put on the new man is put away lying. And speaking every man truth to his neighbor is essential if we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of truth or the spirit and the bond of peace. It's essential for that endeavor. And lying is the very destruction of it. Like I said in verse 15, Paul exhorted us to Speak the truth in love, that we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Yet here, Paul exhorts us to speak truth with our neighbor. Be truthful, be honest. It's habitual disposition to speak truth. Now, I believe that we all understand, especially in these day and days, we live in a world of liars. Deception is everywhere. In politics, in families, on the job. Sadly to say, even amongst those who profess Christ, I'm not talking about the big lies. Neither is Paul. When Paul says speak truth, he didn't say the truth, truth in general. Be honest all the time with each other. Be sincere. Be truthful. Be in a habitual disposition of speaking the truth. You know, the Bible says a little leaven leveleth the whole lump. Sometimes, I don't know why we believe that, because we believe the way the world thinks sometimes. We believe sometimes by lying we're being compassionate or friendly or we're being kind or being hospitable. I can't tell them the truth. It would hurt them. A lot of times when we're talking about lying, we're talking about, again, not the big major lies, but those little small insignificant ones that we think in a gray zone. Well, I couldn't be there for this, and it's actually a lie. You know, we we build up all these little tiny lies. And Paul's saying you shouldn't live that way. You should always live in a habitual disposition of truth, an habitual speaking of the truth. I don't know about you, but when someone lies to me, I have a very difficult time believing anything they say after that. All right, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt maybe twice, but when somebody boldfacedly lies to me, and I'm sure you think the same way, it's hard trusting them for anything else. And Christians might not be guilty of such bold lies, but are we not guilty of those little lies in life that we believe are not sinful of themselves, every lie. You ever, you ever hear, remember your grandparents tell you that you tell one lie, you have to tell a thousand more to cover the first lie. You tell one lie, then you've got to tell another lie to cover that lie, then another lie. It's like leaven. It just, Paul says, no, live in, live in truth. Speak truth. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. Be honest. I'm telling you, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's what a relationship is built on. I've been married over 40-some years. 
truth is what a relationship is built on. You don't have truth, your relationship's going to fold, fall away. You're not going to have anything. It's going to be built on lies and deceptions. Truth is what a church must be built on. Not only the truth of God, but truth amongst the members. God is a God of truth. One of the attributes which is overlooked by many because of man's insatiable curiosity and attraction to those attributes which belong only unto God, such as sovereignty, immutability, omniscience, omnipresence. We spend more time on those than those attributes which God communicates to us, which is truth and holiness and love. We're more taken by those things that are far above our minds and our heads. And we're less occupied with those attributes of God which God communicates to us. That's salvation. Anyone that studied anything about the attributes of God or a little bit of a thought theology, you know there's communicable attributes and incommunicable. There's attributes that only God has. There's attributes that God shares with mankind. One of them is truth. And God esteems truth very highly. I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you imagine something very impossible just for a moment? Imagine that God can lie. And he's not a God of truth. That his word contains deceitfulness and lies. Where would our hope be if we thought God was not a God of truth? God would have us echo or imitate that virtue amongst one another, especially as believers. Paul emphasizes that, for we are members one of another. He's not so much saying, because you need to show that in the world. He said, because it's evident, it's significant, it's important amongst you as believers. You cannot have a unified church. You cannot have a unified member. You cannot enjoy one another's blessings, what she's been talking about in chapter 4, with each member giving what it should, unless you live, unless you abide in truth. The psalmist said, peace be within the walls of Jerusalem. Truth and peace. So Paul would say, if you put on the new man, this is the first exhortation he says. Put away lying. Put it away. Be done with it. Stop lying. Speak, every man, the truth. Psalm 85.10 said this, mercy and truth are met together. Mercy, truth. Boy, we could stay on that one for a while, couldn't we? (laughs) Truth be told about our poor condition before God. We were wretched, miserable. But mercy has met together with truth. It goes on to say righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Paul speaks here in Ephesians about truth and righteousness. Sounds like he's following the same line of Scripture when it has to deal with truth and righteousness, mercy and peace. None of these things can be obtained where there's a lack of truth. You see, because if we're going to listen to me, please listen to me. If we're going to be truthful, if we're going to speak truth to one another as believers, we can't be afraid of the consequences of truth. Do we not want God to be truthful with us? Do we not want God to be truthful with us? And does God's truthfulness harm us in any way? It might humble us severely, extremely, but we want to know the truth. The Lord said the truth shall set you free. 
then why do we not exercise speaking truth amongst one another as believers? We tend to seemingly lie to one another open-facedly. We should not be afraid of speaking truth to one another. If we speak that truth, like Paul says even 15 in love, if we speak the truth because we love Christ, because we love the brethren. Paul says, I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Now, I'll admit there's many who abuse that. We tend to do that because we're always, like our brother said yesterday, on a pendulum. We're always swinging one way or the other. But sometimes we think we just speak the truth. And if God, if, if man can't take it, that's his problem. It don't matter to me. I'm right. You're wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the kind of truth speaking Paul's talking about. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. Like our brother said, the balance there between the atonement and the war, but meekness and humility. The truth of which Paul speaks is a truth that frees, that helps, that assists, that strengthens, that encourages. The new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Truth, mercy, righteous peace. You see how they all flow together? And so Paul would have us understand that we've got to put off lying so that we might speak truth to one another. Mercy is not without truth. Is it? Not God's mercy. God's mercy is not without truth. Don't we agree with that, with the way people present Christ today? Is they do away with truth and God's just a God of mercy and love. It doesn't matter about the truth of our sins and that something has to be done about our sins and that there has to be repentance and we have to realize and understand we fall short of the glory of God and that we're sinners and vile before God. They do away with that and say, oh, God's just a God of mercy and love. No, he's a God of truth. Mercy is not without truth. And mercy will never, ever go against truth. True mercy is found in truth. And peace only comes with righteousness. Right? We now have peace with God through what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. You see, peace only comes with righteousness. And they both spring from the new man. One makes inquisition for sin, while the other pleads for reconciliation. And both of these are met in Christ. Truth and righteousness. And yet they also spring from the new man. This is, this is imitating Christ. This is something that Christ had. Let this mind be in you. Look at it. Created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what the truth is of which Paul speaks in verse 25. Lying is not only the very opposite of truth. But it's also detrimental to peace. I believe this is why a lot of churches don't have peace. Because they lie. One of the things that was hard for, I don't know if you understand that, but it's, a, it's an illustration. It doesn't even come close to what the truth is, uh, what the measure of truth. But let me get to you anyway. In Germany, uh, I hope my wife still makes me lunch after this. But in Germany, one of the characteristics of a German is they're very blunt and forthwith and honest. It's just the way they are. How do you like this vest I got? Does it look good on me? A German will say, 
If they don't think it does, they'll say, nah, didn't look good on you. Try something else. Come to America and they'll go, oh, i got to be compassionate, kind, friendly. Oh, it looks wonderful on you. And then they'll walk away and say, that was the worst best I've ever seen in my life. He should never wear that again. That, to me, means that there's a root of lying and deceitfulness in a man's character. I'm not saying you have to be rude about it. But peace is detrimental, or lying is detrimental to peace. You can't have true peace with there's lying. Can you imagine trying to sit down with somebody and have a conversation with them, and in the back of the mind, you're thinking, this guy, this lady, these, they're not telling me the truth. They're lying to me. They're not being honest with me. There's some just, you can't have unity and peace and love with that. It's opposite of truth. Look at John chapter 8. Let me show you something the Lord said. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 43. It's the opposite. Lying is the opposite of truth. John eight forty-three. Christ here, speaking to the religious crowd, he said, uh, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. We could stay on that for a while and you, you can't hear my word. Wait a minute. Are they deaf? No. You're not listening. You can't. You don't have the ears to hear. We'll go into that maybe some other time. Look here. He explains why. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father he will, you, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Children, you see who is the father of liars? Not God, it's Satan. It's an evil work. Now watch this in verse 45. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. You see that? Lying is detrimental and opposite of truth. He said, you don't believe me. You don't, because I tell you the truth, you believe me. I'm telling you the truth, but because you're so much of a liar, you don't believe what I'm saying. It's opposite of truth. It's what lying does. Lying makes it impossible for us to hear the truth. But it's detrimental to peace as well. Look in James chapter 3. It's detrimental to peace. It's not the opposite of truth. It's detrimental. Look at James chapter 3, verse 13. These are words of wisdom. James 3.13, who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Who's smart? Who's wise? Who's got knowledge? Let him show out of a good conversation his works. You see there? Wisdom and not what you say, but your conversation is works with meekness of wisdom. Now watch this though. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not what against the truth. Don't lie against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. There's that word, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first, listen to this, pure and peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, 
without hypocrisy. You, you see that? That's the wisdom of truth. That's, that's what James says wisdom from above gives us. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. What a contrast. Lying is detrimental to peace. You know why a lot of churches don't have peace? Because they're not truthful with one another. They don't speak truth. Lying is the very characteristic of the old man, which is corrupt, Paul says, according to the deceitful lust. That's characteristic of the old man. Yet speaking truth, Paul says in Ephesians 4, is the quality and virtue of the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. There's a big difference. And I think that's why Paul said, put away lying and speak every man truth, because he's saying lying is character of the old man, speaking truth is a character of the new man. You see the difference? Beloved, it's not what we profess to know about doctrine that proves who we are in Christ. You know who in Scripture knew more about Scripture than any mortal man? Satan. Bold enough to even use it or try to use it against the Lord in this temptation. Didn't he use Scripture every time? It's not what we profess to know about the doctrine that proves who we are in Christ, but when we adore the doctrine of God in all things, Titus 2.10, he said, adorn it, put it on, wear it, let it be your conversation, your behavior, your character. It has to influence our entire being, not just our mind. It's evidenced by who we are and how we live and how we converse with one another, especially as Christians, especially as Christians. How often the Word of God emphasizes how we should behave ourselves amongst one another as believers, especially the household of faith, especially those who are the children of God. It's not speaking about the new man, but it's putting him on. Putting him on. Look at John chapter 10 again. I'll give you another illustration our Lord gives. John chapter 10. Stay with me. John chapter 10, verse 37. Listen to his words here. The Lord says this. John chapter 10, verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. Almost like sounds like James, doesn't it? If you want to see my faith, my works, let my works approve my faith, and so forth. Listen to what he says. If you do not, if, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. That's strange coming from the Lord, isn't it? Now watch this. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What a strange thing to say. But the Lord is correct. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not, but if I do do the works, though you believe not me, listen to me, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. 
Therefore, they sought to, again, to take him away. You see how they rejected him. It's the same thing Paul's talking about Ephesians, the same thing James was talking about. Put away lying and speak every man truth to his neighbor. Speak every man truth to his neighbor for your members of one another. Let me wind this down with an exhortation from Zechariah, the Old Testament. <clears throat> chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. Now, Zechariah was sent at a very young age to prophesy to those Jews who returned from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem. Yet while he encouraged them to be strong and continue the work, he would also remind them how such work, regardless of how much they did, let's put this in context of Paul's speaking about church unity, Christian unity, they would never succeed if they lived not in truth with one another. Look in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. Follow me with this. <clears throat> These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Sounds like Paul. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace. You see how, again, truth and peace meet Ex execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Truth will always bring peace. Don't ever believe a lie is going to establish anything except disruption and divisions. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts. He's talking about rebuilding the wall. He said, you're not going to be successful. You can work till your hands bleed. But if you don't have this, let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor and love no false oaths for all these things, all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. So he says, no matter how hard we work to rebuild, if the workers are not unified in love and peace and truth, all your labor will be in vain. Let that be an exhortation to us as we seek God's will in beginning a church, all the labor will be nothing if we don't have peace with inside the walls and gates of Jerusalem. Beloved, uh, the believer's entire faith is founded upon God being truthful, not a deceiver, nor a liar, nor unjust, but upon Him being true without error, without deceit, just and upright, as the Scripture says. And though, beloved, we could never equal God in such truthfulness, justice, and uprightness. God still demands that we always strive to perfect these virtues in ourselves by His grace, by putting away lying and speaking truth to our neighbors. For to speak every man truth to his neighbor is opposing to imagining evil in one's heart against his neighbor. And executing the judgment of truth and peace in our gates is contrary to loving a false oath. All these things I hate, the Lord said. All these things I hate. It's imperative 
if we're ever going to have or establish Christian unity and love, if we're ever going to be successful endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that we heed Paul's exhortations and we put away lying and speak every man truth with his neighbor because we're members one of another. Isn't it amazing that the motivation is because we're members of one another? I'm, it breaks my heart because I, I believe so many Christians are ignorant of that last sentence and the significance of it. He doesn't say because Christ commanded you to. Of course he does. He doesn't say because this is pleasing in the sight of God. He said the motivation for this is because we're members. We belong together as Christians. We're members of one another. It should be natural to the new man. And I believe that's why, which we won't get into today, I believe that's why he goes straight on in verse 26 and 27 to, to wrath. Be, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't be wrathful. There are some things we are to be angry about, false doctrines, deceits, and all that. There's some things the Lord was. He ran out the people from the temple who were buying and selling. But when it comes to the wrath, our wrath, we cannot control that emotion. It is, it's a malignant cancer. And Paul says, be angry, yes, and sin not by allowing your wrath to be destructive. Because he says in verse 7, 27, Neither give place to the devil. Why? Because the devil will take advantage of that. Everything in this chapter, in these latter verses here, everything has to do with one another. Look at the end of verse 28 about them that steal, steal no more. He said that he may have to give to him that needeth. Why should he stop stealing? That he can work with his hands and give to those who need. Now watch this, verse 29. Let no communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good. Why? To the use of edifying. Why? That ye may minister grace unto the hearers. You see how everything reflects on how we deal with each other? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see how each one of these exhortations has to do, the motivation is because of how we should be able to help others. The motivation is for the benefit of others, of the church, of the members, to away with these things. Get rid of them, the corrupt communication, the anger, the wrath, the lying. Put away those things, bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor. Put them all away. Put on a new man which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Put him on. Let me close with this quote. An old man of God said this, and I'll close. There is no sin more unseeming in a Christian, more inconsistent with grace, more abominable to God, more like unto the devil, more injurious and, and hurtful, harmful to human society than the sin of lying. Fidelity towards each other and mutual confidence in each other being that which makes human society both safe and easy. And the church. Fidelity towards each other, mutual confidence in each other is what makes us both safe and easy. Beloved, let us heed Paul's exhortation. Put away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. For we are members one of another. And be angry and sin not. 
And that, that let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how we thank you for these exhortations which Paul gives us. Because, Father, as believers, we hate those sins that drive you from our breast. We have no confidence in the flesh, as Paul says. Father, we long and desire to be more sanctified, to be made more holy. We fall infinitely short of your commands. Lord, we want to be, we desire to be, we long to be more like Christ. Give us the grace to endeavor to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace in all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering for bearing one another in love. Help us to learn these exhortations. Help us to understand that truth is never harmful when it's done and when it's professed and spoken in love. The truth is that which enables us to maintain, cultivate, and preserve peace within our walls. Father, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. The world hates the truth because, Christ, you are the truth. Lord, let us not ever be afraid to speak the truth. God, give us grace, we pray. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.